Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Um, I'm Benjamin Day. I'm the executive director of Healthcare Now, which is the national single-payer healthcare advocacy group. So we're talking on Monday. It is the anniversary of Medicare, it turns out. So um, talk about what this means in the context of thinking about single-payer healthcare. Yeah, so Medicare turns 53 today. Um, and I think that, um, you know, as we have these sort of intense political debates at the national political level over Medicare for all and single payer, it's yeah. easy to forget that we, we basically have already uh, one single payer plan for seniors yeah. um, and that it was passed under, you know, a similarly contentious and, uh, you know, uh, social movement setting. It followed right on the heels of the civil rights movement and the sort of, you know, upheaval of the political party system. And we're entering a similar stage where there's a lot of social movement activity and yeah. both parties are kind of in crisis. And so it's a good time to think about, um, you know, what's po- what's becoming possible at the political mm-hmm. horizon. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, right, so let's talk about some of that upheaval. As you said, both parties are, are in crisis and are trying to figure out where to go, what to do. One of them seems to be interested in white supremacy and the other one is has suddenly a really active progressive wing that is pushing mm-hmm. for policies like single payer health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean both parties are in crisis, but they're very different crises. Um, <laughs> you know, and one of the differences is that, you know, Republicans are in crisis, but they are generally winning. You know, they're right. they've been winning elections now for for over a decade, and Democrats are in crisis, but they're losing, which is yeah. um, a very, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a sense that, this, that the sort of survival of the party is at stake in, in the outcomes of this. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of folks say that, you know, the rise of Medicare for All and single-payer movement is part of, like, the left wing of the party gaining influence or the liberal wing of the party gaining influence or the progressive wing. But the truth is that single payer is basically a, a consensus position among Democrats. It's you know yeah. over eighty percent of Democrats support it. Um, so it's yeah. not a wing. It's just the actual position of Democrats being embraced, trying to get it to actually be embraced by the the top level of the party. And I think that's true for a lot of the you know so-called progressive issues. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's true that there's still some resistance from you know, the people who have been the party power structure for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what, I mean, we're seeing the victories of candidates like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez running on single payer, among other things. But what's happening in terms of shifting the people who have already been in power on this front? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, this happened way before the elections, Um, I mean, first there was the the 2016, you know, primaries, uh, the the Sanders Clinton primaries, um, right. where we saw a very credible run by by someone running on Medicare for all, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, partly that was um, Bernie's run impacting 
sort of the country and, and mobilizing people who believe in this. But mm-hmm. part of it was also that this movement for Medicare for All had already been growing and kind of made it possible for someone like Bernie to to have a yeah. viable run in the Democratic yeah. Party. Um, and then after that, uh, I think almost uh, probably more important was what happened during the repeal and replace fight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, there there was a national uprising to oppose, uh, you know, repealing the Affordable Care Act with basically nothing. Um, right. And actually, they were gonna they were gonna do more than that. They were gonna have, you know, roll back Medicaid as well, things that weren't even in the Affordable right. Care Act. Yeah. Um, and you know, when going into that, what I feared, and I think what a lot of people expected, was that people would just kind of fight for the status quo that we want to keep what we have. Um, and yeah. that is not what happened. Yeah. Um, when people were actually pushed out into these town hall meetings and, you know, were fed up and just had to speak out, no yeah. one embraced the current health care system under the Affordable right. Care Act. Yeah. Um, I think everyone universally said, you know, this has got to be fixed. It's got to be changed. And that's really different from, you know, six or seven years ago, like right after yeah. the passage of the ACA. Yeah. Um, so that moment was really uh, pivotal for, I think, um, where we had this big uprising and that, you know, politicized a lot of people and got them involved with a single payer movement. So we're seeing the growth of, of all of our grassroots organizations across the country and we're seeing the formation of new groups where they never existed before. Yeah. And there's also all these kind of new political groups like Indivisible and Our Revolution that have proliferated across the country and many of them are also working on Medicare for All and fighting for it. Yeah, so there was, you recently hosted a a strategy summit on Medicare for Mm -hmm. All. What were some of the interesting sort of takeaways from that? So, you know, I I think that um, there's going to be different, a few phases of this movement. Um, Mm -hmm. Right now, there's definitely a focus on the elections and trying to get, um, really pressuring all candidates to, to embrace Medicare for All. Um, yeah. But after this moment is over, and I, it looks like we will gain, you know, qu- quite a few Medicare for All supporters in Congress just through the election process. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, it's going to be, an, you know, sort of another social movement fight to um, to get sitting reps to to embrace it, like happened last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what that looks like will really vary depending on whether Democrats retake the House or the Senate. So. Yeah. Um, um, so we're kind of preparing the the way for that. Um, a lot of our work has been focused on these elections and pressuring candidates uh, yeah. when they're most vulnerable and when, you know, they're most accountable, I think. Um, but, yeah. you know, phase two is really going to be um, doing very targeted organizing uh, in the districts of, of Democrats who, who should be on board this bill and are not yet. But for people who live in districts that are in the middle right. of a contentious election, uh-huh. The answer to what you can do is sort of easy, but like for people who are in places that don't have either a competitive race or a competitive primary, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. you know, what can they do to be yeah. working on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Just, um, just I think a week or two ago, um, the first Medicare for All caucus was launched in, in Congress. Yeah. Um, and this really, I think, marks a new phase of, uh, of, you know, seriousness about single-payer in, in Congress. Because um, basically, you know, we have a lot of reps who have signed on over the years, um, but they haven't really been asked to do much more than that. Yeah. Um, so the creation of the caucus is really asking reps to take the next step and to take, embrace, take on leadership roles. 
um, uh-huh. to start, you know, hosting public forums, to start really taking the policy side seriously, um, identifying, you know, just being able to to get a bill that is, you know, fully viable before Congress and potentially to be voted on in the next few years. So right. um, e- even in, you know, districts where there's an incumbent Democrat who is never going to be run against, you know, um, yeah. there's this important step of asking them to take on more leadership on the issue. Um, So I think we're seeing organizing in districts where there hadn't been the need as much in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So and then, you you know, the the conservative districts, um, it's really about sort of base building and and grassroots organizing because, you know, I think during Repeal and Replace, that was mostly, you know, a lot of the calls for Medicare for All were coming directed at Republicans um, and also, you know, asking them not to not to repeal the ACA, but also to go further. Um, And I think it I think that made an impact, um, even if those are not going to be votes um, Mm -hmm. for the bill down the road. So, yeah, great. Um, And how can people keep up with you and with Healthcare Now? Yeah, so the best way is through our website, healthcarenow.org. We coordinate, you know, actions around the country. So, if you sign up for our action list, then we can get you can we can get folks plugged in with their local groups, their local single parent activist groups, um, and they can help get involved. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.